What's up, you guys? Good to see you. You look great. Oh, dating, we're tackling this thing together, you guys. Singleness, last week with Ian, if you missed it, go back and listen to it. That was great. I hope that was an encouraging, helpful message for you guys. And I saw your hands go up. There's a lot of you that are dating. When he asked, I saw that. There's a lot of you dating in this room. So I'm pumped to uh, talk about dating tonight and open our Bibles together. Um, Let me tell you real quick, too. My aim is more tonight in this message or this kind of family talk, really. It's going to be more of a family talk than a sermon to talk more about the who than the how of dating. More about who you should be and who the other person should be than how you should actually date. Talk more about your character than the actual, you know, nitty-gritty, practical things. That's what the late night's for. And so, thankfully, I don't have to tackle that all. Um, we're going to hear from other people in the late night. But um, in one sense, I want to ask you tonight if you're ready for marriage. Like, if you're marriage material. And the reason I want to ask you that is because the Bible actually really only has two categories or two like relationship statuses, right? Ian, last week in the passage he worked through, 1 Corinthians 7, um, he, he showed us in that passage that, that in marriage, and, and really marriage only, is the only relationship that God has created in which you're bound to someone else. It's the only one that's covenantal. It's the only one where you make vows to each other. Like if you're making vows to each other and you're just dating, that's weird. Okay? I, okay. Doesn't seem like anyone's doing that. Good. Okay. Off to a good start. Um, But the language in that passage and the language we see throughout the Bible is that really in the eyes of God, the only relationship that he blesses and says, like, "This this is the context, this is the relationship for intimacy and sex, like, it's marriage. It's, It's marriage. It's only for marriage. And so he's the creator of everything even of of sex. He's the creator of you and me. He's the creator of the universe. He's the creator of everything that we know, even the air that we breathe. And he's saying, this is the place to enjoy it. And so dating couples in the room, let me tell you this. You're not bound to each other like a husband and wife are. You're still in a single of singleness until you make vows to each other. So last week, in some ways, was as much for you as it was for someone who like, isn't in a dating relationship. You are either a brother and sister in Christ or you're a husband and wife in Christ. So if you're doing things like physically with someone, the Bible says you're doing that with your brother or you're doing that with your sister. Also weird. Okay. Um, And if if you're even here tonight like entertaining the thought of dating, like I would like to be in a relationship, at least at some point in college, Please, God, like God's wisdom revealed to us in Scripture would say you shouldn't just be fooling around. You shouldn't just be aimless in your dating. You should be serious about figuring out whether or not you want to do the rest of your life with this person. And if, if that scares you, like if the idea of, of getting married in, in a year or two or three when you begin a relationship scares you, maybe you should hold on. Like maybe you shouldn't date until you're at least ready to begin even if it's slowly, the process of evaluation, of, of starting to date. And I, like, I know no one sets out to date poorly. There, there are a lot of us in this room who, like, have been in a relationship that probably went bad, that we have, like, wounds from, that just, we, we have baggage. Like, maybe 
one or two of those, more, myself included. We, we don't set out to date poorly, but the thing is, it honestly doesn't always go that well. So how can dating be healthy emotionally and spiritually for you and for the other person? Like, how do you date in such a way that ends in either like a clean, healthy breakup, as clean as possible, or in a commitment to each other forever in marriage? Because maybe it's just me, but I don't see a whole lot of that happening around me. And where do we open our Bibles? Because for the biblical authors, dating wasn't something that like happened at all. It wasn't just like, oh, it was less common. They didn't even have a word to describe the types of things the types of things we mean when we say dating. The way you went about finding a spouse in their day was completely different than what it looks like for you and me. No one dated in the Bible. So it makes sense that the Bible doesn't have like a specific passage of like, this is where we learn about dating. This is where God is telling us how to date. Because the Bible's original audience didn't do dating. But that doesn't mean we're left without wisdom from God to help us in our process or in your process of finding a spouse. I'm married, okay? Also, I lost our marriage certificate the other day, but I got a new one today. Praise God. It only cost 15 bucks. Okay. Anyways, that doesn't matter. We were still bound to each other the whole time. That was just a piece of paper. Um, So before I get too far, I just want to put a little bit of language to what I mean tonight when I say dating, because there's all kinds of definitions, and there's, you know, there's stuff before dating, there's talking, whatever. Okay, this is what I mean. The process by which someone goes about finding a spouse, or another way you could put it, a pastor by the name of Ben Stewart says, the process of evaluation. That's ultimately what you're after in dating, or at least I hope it is. And maybe you've never thought about it this way, but tonight I'm going to invite you to think about it that way. So my plan for tonight is first to set kind of things up by talking about how people dated, or not how people dated, how people went about finding a spouse back, way back, and then um, compare that to now. And then we're going to talk about the who. Sound good? Okay. Open your Bibles up to Proverbs. We're going to jump around the book of Proverbs a little bit tonight. Open up to Proverbs 11.14. I'll let you get there for a second. Proverbs 11:14 it says this, where there is no guidance a people falls but in an abundance of counselors there is safety. Now why am I starting with a verse like this? Well, for much of history your family had a lot more to do with the process of fi- finding a spouse than your family does today. Like, marriages were arranged. You didn't fall in love and then say vows. You committed to each other. You said vows and then you learned to love each other. Love wasn't as much like this feeling right away as it was a choice. And today, families, and even for some, honestly, like their community, their friends, they have little to no involvement in the process of finding a spouse. Like, culturally, it's normal to live together before marriage and, and maybe, like, maybe eventually decide, you know, 
we'll, we'll get married. After they've been living together and all that. And, and so you make promises eventually after you've already in some ways gone so far and would be so hurt if things didn't work out. Back then you learned to love after you said vows. Now it's like I have to have all these warm fuzzies. I have to like kind of just test drive them and just hang out all the time and live under the same roof and all that because, I mean, I don't know. And if, if you're thinking to yourself, how in the world did arranged marriages ever work? Like, did anyone ever actually stay married? Listen to these stats on arranged marriages. Th- these stats are actually from recent years because newsflash, there are cultures in the world today where arranged marriages are still common. So stats from recently in places where arranged marriages are still common. Divorce rates are less than 5%. 5%. You know what ours is in America? It's north of 40. Like some would, some would say even it's close to 50. Why is there such a striking difference in these statistics? Like how are arranged marriages that successful? Because there's an abundance of counselors in their lives. A principle that proves true regardless of whether we're talking about uniquely Christian marriage. And I'm, I'm not actually going to like advocate for arranged marriages. Okay, chill. Like we're talking about dating. I actually think dating's fine. But I'm just trying to say there is something striking about that. Something that you should take notice of. There's a danger in dating when either one or both people in the dating relationship don't have wise counsel, don't have community, don't have people that are going to say hard, gut-wrenching things to them and people that are going to help them follow Jesus. Like, there's wisdom in having community in your life that isn't afraid to say hard things to you. Things like, yeah, um, Jerry, you know that dude you're dating? Yeah, he's not helping your godliness. You should, you should probably end things. And you need more than just an abundance of counselors if you're going to date well. You need to be a person yourself who is deeply committed to following Jesus in all of life. And I'm telling you that the people that God has put in your life, or perhaps the people that you need to surround yourself with, are also God's grace to you to help you grow into a person that is more deeply committed to following Jesus. Like, none of us have actually arrived at some point of maturity at which, like, we don't need more wise counsel. And it's also not just people who are good counselors. This is what the psalmist says about God's word. This is Psalm 119, 24. You don't have to flip there, but it says this. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. The psalmist is going, like, I have this great counselor in the word of God. So the Bible needs to be the truth that you submit your life to, friends. Like it needs to be the truth that you say, I am going to fully surrender to. I'm going to put my life under its authority for the rest of my days. Being deeply committed to following Jesus isn't just a good thing for some day. Like it'll be good for you even in a season of dating. Will it restrict who you should date? Yeah. Will it restrict how far you should go physically in dating? It better. But if it's for, but I'm telling you, it's for your joy. 
in this life and in the one to come. And so once you've started to kind of pick up some momentum, gain some momentum in being deeply committed to Jesus, only then are you ready to be someone who is evaluating someone else for like their potential in marriage, looking for someone who's a suitable person to date. So, okay, ladies, I'm going to speak directly to you for a minute. Turn in your Bibles. Dudes, you can follow along too. I want you to listen now. But I'm going to talk to the ladies. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. And as you turn there, I just want to tell you, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young man named Timothy. Paul, Paul discipled Timothy. Paul loved Timothy. Timothy in so many ways would look at Paul as his spiritual father. And Timothy was this, this young pastor. Paul's writing to him as an apostle. And we have this letter. So it would be helpful if I said this too. Um, what better to look for in a man that regardless of if they ever want to be a pastor or whatever, just wants to please God and be shaped by words that we're about to read like this in Scripture. So it doesn't matter what their ambition is or how badly they want to like, be a pastor or whatever. That's, that shouldn't be some criteria. But do they love words like this in God's Scripture? This is what it says. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So ladies, in light of this, I want to tell you to resolve to date only men who are seriously fleeing from sin. Like not just trying to manage their sin. Restrict the types of people you date down to only men who are serious about fleeing from sin. And trust me, you'll know eventually whether or not they're fleeing from sin. Like if you're not sure, you should want to find out before there's a ring on your finger. Some would say if you're not sure, you should actually probably just assume they're not that serious about fleeing from sin. A dude who still watches porn many times a week is not ready to be your husband. Like he is not ready to lead you. He's not ready to be someone who makes vows to you. He doesn't know the first thing about the honestly radical obedience that he's called to because he's saved by grace. You should care about how he's fleeing from sin. And if you're like, how do I find out? Maybe you should just be friends for a little while, know his community, see what kind of community he has, see what his life is like before you even date him. You should be confident that grace isn't cheap to the other person. If he's the one that's like pushing the physical boundaries in your relationship, maybe you should just break up with him. Because that's what fleeing from sin would probably look like for you. And it's the best thing for your own soul to, to actually flee from sin. So, ladies, a guy who doesn't have much self-control isn't ready to be thinking about marriage. And it's not going to be something that's good for your 
godliness and your obedience either. Don't be fooled. And maybe you're that dude that's here tonight. Actually, I'm really glad you're here. Like, I, I want to tell you this. The Lord loves you. Like, I'm going to say some more hard things to you guys, to you dudes, okay? The Lord loves you. He's forgiven me of losing my virginity in high school. And that was serious sin against him and against my own body and against someone else made in the image of God. And he forgave me, not because sin really isn't just like a big deal or anything. He forgave me because he died for me. Like God had to die for me to be forgiven of my sins. But it's in him dying in our place that we see clearly, most clearly, his love for us and his hatred of sin. Both his love for us and his hatred of sin. You don't need to actually clean yourself up before God can approve of you. So Hear me, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, I'm inviting you to do that tonight because by turning to Jesus, by repenting and turning to Jesus, your sins can be forgiven like that. And in that moment of turning to Jesus and his spirit filling you, you will be set free. You will have power to live a life that is about pleasing God rather than fulfilling the things that Uh, the passions that you are just trying to please. Like you were made for God. And so all of us, no matter where you're at with Jesus tonight, I want to ask you this. How much better must the creator of everything, including intimacy and sex and all those things you want, how much better must he be than those things themselves? Like, I want you to know that God. I want you to be reconciled to him. And so, ladies, slowly over time, you need to discern things like, will he lead me like Ephesians 5 calls him to if we ever enter into the covenant of marriage? Will he be someone that's, like, hard to get to go to church with me? Will he be someone that I have to drag to connection group? Or will he be leading out in us growing in Christ? Will he be setting the pace spiritually? Will he lay down his life for me like Jesus did for his bride, the church? Does he love the church? Does he love what Jesus loves? You need to ask things like, will he do all of those things? I want to know it. I want to know that he will do those things. And I want to be really clear, until you're married... Like, he doesn't get to take on that role of, of leading. He's not your, like, teacher. He's not your um, devo leader. He's your boyfriend. He's your boyfriend. And he should do his own devos. You guys should follow Jesus separately before you get married and in so many ways are bound to each other and follow Jesus together. Because what happens if you break up? What happens if you break up and you realize so much of my Christian life has been centered around and has depended upon him? And hear me, 
he doesn't need to be more mature than you are, okay? I'm not saying that. But he should be mature. He should care about holiness. And he should be leading himself before he ever gets the privilege of leading you. So, ladies, don't settle. Don't settle. Like, imagine for a second what life would be like, what married life would be like if you did settle. Like if you made some compromises, if you didn't really care if he was fleeing from sin, if you didn't really care if he loves what Jesus loves. Like your marriage could end in a divorce at worst. You, if you compromise, like if you're willing to date some people that you don't even really know if they love Jesus. They just say they're a Christian. They just got a Bible verse on some bio thing. Like, even if you don't end up in a divorce, but you, you're at this place where you just, you realize in your marriage at some point, a year in, five years in, you don't even really believe in the same Jesus like one of you loves the biblical Jesus and another one of you loves just this Jesus that's kind of really uninformed by the Bible one of you lives very different has different standards than what God in his word calls you to I think you would regret that. And I'm saying this to you because I love you. I want you to have a marriage that is full of joy and helps you keep following Jesus. Someone once said that the content single person is infinitely better off than the discontent married person. So I'm, I'm saying these things to you because I don't want your future marriage to end in a divorce or even consider going there. And you know what would hurt far worse and leave way more scars than a breakup a divorce a divorce would so hear me no one is going to complete you no man is going to complete you but if marriage isn't God's plan for you it's going to sanctify you it's going to sanctify you it's going to be for your Christ likeness Okay, man, it's your turn. Turn to Proverbs 31. Proverbs chapter 31. If you've never read that chapter before, it's, it's just all about this woman who's like a total boss. That's just the best way I know how to put it, okay? Um, Proverbs 31, verse 10. Proverbs 31, 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is pro- far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. It doesn't say that excellent wives grow on trees. No, it says an excellent wife. Who can find? And that's not to say, however, that there aren't many, many godly women in the world today. I think there's far more than there are us men. But we have a finding problem. We have a finding problem. Our criteria is out of order at best and completely uninformed by the Bible at worst. So I want to ask you this. 
is your mental kind of list for her characteristics way longer and way more important to you than the list for her character? Do you care more about how she looks in a swimsuit than about how godly she is? Because this is what it says down in verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Beauty is vain. God's telling us beauty is vain. Think about that for a minute. Like maybe what it says in your translation is beauty is fleeting. Like it's just here today and gone tomorrow. Like if you get married to someone, they're not going to be as sexy as they are in their 20s as they are in their 80s. Okay? They're just not. So you need to evaluate. You need to discern if she loves Jesus above all else. Like the physical things aren't as important as her own heart for Jesus. This is what it says in 1 Peter. You don't need to turn there. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter's writing to um, these Christians. And he's saying to the women, specifically to the wives, but there's principles here that apply to all women in Christ, okay? He says this, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And the Bible isn't saying that, like, all godly women are just, like, quiet and shy, okay? Read all of Proverbs 31 later. That woman's a boss, and I don't think she's very shy. And it's not making a sweeping prohibition against like wearing jewelry or having nice clothes. But it's saying to women, it's saying to women that the part of you that matters the most, the part of you that you should actually care to make beautiful is what is imperishable. Like focus on making that attractive. A woman isn't like automatically godly if she just stops wearing jewelry. But you need to evaluate if this woman is going to be someone you want to go through the highs and lows of life with. Not just if she's someone you want to go on a honeymoon with. Proverbs 25, 24 says, It's better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Have you ever seen her handle conflict? Does she just always have to be right? Like, maybe it should concern you that, like, her roommates just, like, cannot put up with her because of how she treats them. Man, this is what God's Word says. You have this entire book at your fingertips to inform your evaluation. And hear me, if you are in a relationship or if you are ever in a dating relationship, her heart matters just as much as your evaluation. In fact, you should put it above your desire just to like have a girlfriend or whatever. And if, if it turns out like she's not the one for you, you don't feel like she's the one you want to marry, as much as it depends on you, leave her better than you found her. We'll talk more about kind of, again, beginning and ending relationships in the late night. But seriously, men, I want to call you to this. I want to call you to be gracious, to be humble, and to be a learner from other men who love Jesus. 
other men who are married and love Jesus and love their wives. Just like, I don't even know how to begin to describe to you the types of joys and blessings that would set yourself up for if you just did that. Because marriage is hard. It is. Marriage is hard. And dating in so many ways, like I think even for, for my wife and I, it was pretty smooth sailing. Like marriage got way harder. Like we actually fought really for like the first couple times in the first few months of our marriage. It's hard. And so you're not looking for someone that never challenges you or pushes you. You're looking for someone who will help you grow into the, the man in Christ you were meant to. You're looking for someone who you want to spend the rest of your life with, someone who will be faithful, someone who finds their joy not in their circumstances and not even ultimately in you, but in their God. So you need to keep your foot to the floor when it comes to your own personal devotion to following Jesus, man. Like you might not be ready to date yet, and that's okay. This is what my heart just longs for all of you, for, for men and women alike. It's to live a faithful life. And if God has marriage in store for you, to be with someone else who loves Jesus and wants to be faithful to him in 20, 30, 40 years from now, because regardless of what your relationship status is, you can live for Jesus. You can participate in his mission. You can make disciples. You can, you can serve the people that he's called you to serve, and you can be someone who is godly. Some of the most godly people I know had a very long season of singleness, and they learned contentment, and it wasn't something that they learned in a year or two. For some of them, it took 10, 10 years. And so, you guys, I've talked a lot about evaluating. I've talked a lot about questions to ponder, all of that. Things to consider before you make vows to one another. Before you commit to spending the rest of your life together. And it, like I can't end without telling you that until you know the love of God in Jesus, how unfathomably loved you already are, you're just going to be overwhelmed by trying to find someone. You're just going to be crushed when it doesn't work out. You'll, you'll never actually find someone who can love you deeply and as faithfully as God can. Like, you'll never have the security to enter into a, a dating relationship that's seriously intentional about thinking about marriage and trying to please Jesus. It'll just break you. But if the one thing that you're most certain of is that the God of the universe loved you and sent his son to die for you while you were still just a mess, like while you were still dead in your sins, then you won't have God-sized expectations for someone else, for someone you date, for someone you marry. 
you won't have those expectations for someone else because you'll know that they can't even bear a fraction of them. You will be free. You'll be the free person in Christ no matter if you're single, if you're dating, if you're married. You will be the person who finds their joy in the Lord, who is just abounding in the works of the Lord, who loves to just be with the Lord. And that's a person that people who want to serve Jesus and want to grow in their entire life of following Jesus, that's the person they want to be with. But you need to deal with Jesus. You need to come to a conclusion about who he is, how important he is going to be in your life before you should ever make vows. Before you ever make a covenant promise to someone else, you need to realize that God wants to make a covenant promise with you. He's extending that offer, his love for you. He'll never leave you. He'll never, he'll never forsake you. In Jesus Christ, he loves you. And so come to him. Believe in him. Center your life around him and around his people. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for these men and women in this room. God, the, the work that you have done just in all of our lives, we can honestly say that you are, are faithful. And so just bless these men and women. God, I'm thankful that you have called so many of them to believe in you and to go about already finding someone who they're going to make vows to. God, would you, would you teach us, all of us, no matter what our relationship status is, would you teach us how to just be more content? How to be just people who are undone by the fact that you love sinners. God, thank you for the gift of singleness and for the gift of marriage. Thank you that you are the giver of every good gift and we thank you most for just the gift of your son. God, would we Would we long to just be in your presence? Help us to, to respond to you right now for who you are and what you've done.